0: Thank you for listening to How It Ends. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com/slash How It Ends Studio. Our tiers start at $1, and all patrons receive early access, ad-free episodes, digital downloads, access to polls, and more. Physical rewards start at $6 and feature exclusive patron-only merch and other perks. You can also visit us at HowItEndsPodcast.com to shop in our merch store, or to join our Discord server, where you can chat with us and other fans of the show. It's the only place you'll find exclusive whispers from Micah, Elia, Devin, and Amy. Please enjoy the show.
1: I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high-quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? dot com slash thrive for twenty percent off your first order.
0: This is Micah Jones. You know who we are by now, so I'll spare you introductions. Here's what you need to know. Two years went by and you didn't hear from us. I know some of you thought that we were gone forever, and for that we're sorry. We've done our best to catch you up, and what we've found is a story bigger than us. Bigger than dreams or nightmares. Even bigger than memories. The time for hiding is over. And the only way out is through. We're airing in real time again, and what you'll hear will almost certainly put us in danger. So we need your help. Share this story far and wide, and don't forget to eat at Jim's. Listen for whispers. They can try to stop us, but they can't stop all of you. See you on the other side. Thank you for listening.
2: What you're about to hear was never meant to be public. That will be evident immediately. It's a series of recordings made by former detective Mark Schrade, the officer first on the scene of Nolan Jones' accident. The recordings are dated from December 1993 through March 2019. While they were in Nolan's case file, the one Tim Schrade sent to Micah, none of these recordings were part of the official police report. Since a majority of the audio was made on cassette tapes, Devin digitized and cleaned things up as best as he could. As for the content of these recordings, nothing has been edited or removed. Each entry will be separated by a beep. Between these recordings and the unofficial photographs I found of Nolan's accident, it's clear that Schrade knew more than we could have possibly imagined. And he lied about everything.
3: December 7, 1993. I don't know why I'm doing this. Fuck. I shouldn't feel guilty. He threatened me. Threatened my family. What was I supposed to do? Keep replaying it in my mind. Could have tried to fight him. Stop him. Why didn't I? Keep seeing the scene. It was so much blood.: Queen Rogers, see if they can respond to that 415 man with a gun calling Holmes. Fuck this January 19, 1994. someone left a note on my cruiser. I don't know how I didn't see him do it. It's gone for less than five minutes, and I could see my car from my place in line. The note said, "Remember our deal." Yeah, I fucking remember." November five, nineteen ninety four. 1994. It's a year to the day. I don't know why I'm still feeling so guilty. I mean, I didn't kill the guy. But I could have... Maybe there was... I don't know. It doesn't matter. If I could just get it off my chest, I think I'd feel better, but... Who could I tell? Catherine? She'd call me a monster. Del Monte, maybe. He's been my partner since I joined the force. He'd back me up, I think. But I don't know. I can't be sure. Not with this. I don't think I can tell anyone. It wasn't an honest report. There, I said it. But it's not like I flat out lied either. Just wasn't the whole truth. Why didn't I just call for backup? Could have had anywhere from five to ten officers there in seconds. Would have caught. Dreamt I was at the scene again. Last night. Just that little girl's face. Blank and in shock. Standing in the headlights blood on her clothes, and then I wake up. (sighs) Who am I even talking to? I can't do this right now. November 5, 1997. Been a few years since I made one of these. Didn't think I needed to anymore. It's the anniversary. Four years. Got another note. It's taped to our front door with my name written on it. Whoever is doing this, they don't just know where I live. They were here, standing on my front steps. The only thing inside the envelope was a photo of Tim, the one that I used to keep in my wallet. No, it was the same picture because the top left corner is ripped. But there's something written on the back now. Consider me returning this to be a personal favor. I don't know what this fucking guy wants, but if I ever see him near my house or Tim, I will kill him. February 22, 1999. Had the dream again. Same thing as before. Just her, standing in the headlights, staring at me. It's been almost six years now. It's like she's haunting me. Every time I think I've finally shaken this bullshit, another note pops up and the nightmares start. It's happening again and at the worst possible time. I have enough shit on my plate with the girl that went missing. It's all over the news. Not even that, I gotta keep it together at home because my son's friend is a mess. God, that kid is such a sob story. Spends all his time here because his parents can't get their shit together. And now with all of this, where else is he gonna go? I feel bad. Damn it. I need sleep. I'm saying shit I don't mean. Can't talk to anyone. It's fucking exhausting. April 9th, 2004. I miss Catherine. I don't. I can't believe she's gone. Why am I talking to this thing? <clears throat> What's worse is I'm trying to grieve for my fucking wife and instead I keep thinking about the Joneses. Nolan and his widow. This whole... It's making me think the most horrible shit. I loved Catherine, but as much as I loved her, and I did, I really, really did. Things haven't been great for a long time. She was obsessed with work, always being paged or called away and running off at a moment's notice. I mean, I'm the detective. I should be the one with the tough-to-live-with schedule. She worked in an office. I used to be pretty happy, but somewhere along the way it stopped mattering, I guess. We just focused on other things. Tim and I were always close. Are close, I guess. Catherine wasn't ever very interested in what he was doing. Not until this year. Suddenly, she started taking a big interest in Tim's life. More in mine, too. It was almost like she was excited about something. But then... Well, that's to say, I'm hurting this deeply for someone I haven't felt connected to in years. Um... Then there's the Joneses, who, from what I've learned, were basically the perfect family. The perfect... everything. You could have had a beautiful life if only I... Shit. If I'd done something. Who knows? Maybe they'd have ended up miserable too. But here I am, feeling sorry for myself, not because I lost my wife, but... Because my wife and I didn't have anything close to. That's enough. April 10, 2004. Got a pretty nasty hangover and some regrets. What else is new? Started going through Catherine's things this morning never know how much stuff people have until you try to get rid of it it's almost like their belongings multiply in the boxes or behind closet doors then bam that person is gone and you're left to sort through all their shit and it's just fucking endless endless clothes papers stuff they probably hadn't looked at in years but for some reason never threw away whoever is left behind has to figure out what the fuck to do with it all. I almost decided to throw it all away. Well, after Tim took what he wanted. I saved a few things, but I was about to start tossing things in the dumpster. Now, I'm sitting at my kitchen table at two in the afternoon with a bottle of scotch, looking at a pile of shit that makes no sense at all. I was in our closet, sorting her clothes, figuring out what I could donate, and I noticed something strange about the back wall. It had been cut, precisely, to make a small crawl space, and the door of it was secured with a padlock. There is no way Catherine did the work herself. She had to have hired someone. She never seemed the type to hide things from me, but. When someone dies, it goes one of two ways. One, there is only good in what they left behind. Or two, you find out all their fucking secrets. Once I got the door open, I found a simple wooden box. What was inside the box that has me sitting here talking to this fucking tape recorder? First, the robes. Looking at at least three sets of them in different colors, and they all have these sashes, ropes. I don't know what to call them. They look like the regalia people wear to show they graduated with honors at graduation. She was never in a choir, and even if she was, why is she hiding them in a blank wooden box behind a locked door that I never knew about? But that's not what caught my interest. It was the journals. Probably shouldn't have looked at him. Felt wrong, but I flipped through one of them to see if there any photos or other mementos were tucked between the pages, and I saw my name. Curiosity got the best of me, so I read it. Mark thinks I don't know what really happened the night that man crashed his truck, but I do. We all do. We are monitoring the situation closely. Who the fuck is we? April 21, 2004. It's been about a month since Catherine's funeral. When I got home today, I found a potted plant had been delivered to my house. So many people sent flowers to our house after she died. the fuck am I supposed to do with them? I get the thought. People don't know how to act when someone passes away. But really, think about it. What is someone like me going to do with a house full of daisies? Except these weren't daisies or carnations or whatever other flower people send for funerals. It was just a plant. There was no price sticker on the bottom, no tissue paper or whatever it is they wrapped the pots in to look nice. So it wasn't from a florist. It was dirt all around the edges. It wasn't potted neatly looked ripped from someone's garden, haphazardly packed up. And then I saw the note. A handwritten note tucked into the stems. I recognized the handwriting. The card said, Sorry for your loss. Enjoy the flowers. They're from my garden. I think Catherine would have liked them. It's him. I know it. I don't know shit about plants, though. That was always Catherine's thing. Something she did with one of her clubs or something. They grew all kinds of plants and herbs. She used to bring them home to tend to them sometimes, but they never paid attention. Took it to a neighbor who was an expert gardener, and she told me she was pretty sure it was nightshade, but I should talk to someone who could confirm it, because if it is nightshade, it's toxic, especially to animals went to the library, and the librarian gave me a quick tutorial on how to search for information on the internet Of the books, she suggested, didn't have what I needed. Didn't take more than a minute to find out my neighbor was right. (sighs) Nightshade, also known as Atropa belladonna, can cause paralysis in dogs and cats in seconds to minutes. Humans, too. The entire plant is toxic, not just the berries. Can cause rapid heartbeat, delirium, vomiting, hallucinations, respiratory failure, and death. July 12, 2007. I saw the wife. I mean, I saw Ava Jones at ShopRite today. I tried my best to avoid her. It's been how many years now? Over a decade? But still. I only had two or three things in my basket. I tried to put everything back to make a quick exit, but then Miss Stewart from the library spotted me. Best I could do was grin and bear through her game of 20 questions while keeping my back towards Mrs. Jones as much as possible. I'm a fucking coward for avoiding her. Only thing is... I don't know how much longer I can hold this in either. July 12, 2007. It's 11. 11.43 p.m. I had a feeling this would happen. Seeing her, Ava, triggered the nightmares again. Started off the same as it always does, the girl, the headlights, that blank look of shock. But this time it was different. Instead of just standing there like she usually does, like she did. The little girl, his daughter, she's pointing to something. Took me a minute to follow her hand aware. Her eyes shifted to the left, and it dawns on me that there's something behind me. That's what she's pointing to, but no matter how much I want to turn and look, I can't. My eyes are locked on her. The expression on her face slowly started to change from wide-eyed shock to a grimace of pain, and then up to a sickeningly pronounced smile. And she opened her mouth as if to scream. And then I woke up. Uh, February fucking, uh, I don't know, 20 something. It's the middle of the night. Someone is banging on my front door trying to get in. They are slamming the screen door. Identify yourself! I'm armed! Hello? I repeat, identify yourself. I'm an officer of the law, and I'm armed. Hello? Who's out there? If you're hiding, show yourself now. That's an order. What the fuck? August 10th, 2013. Be 20 years in a few months. Everything is different. My life, this town, my family. Been promoted three times. Worked hundreds of cases. Some solved, some not. But this one. Never gonna shake it. It was a desert storm. Trained for the worst, trained for combat, but I couldn't stand up to one guy. One guy threatens me and I completely fucking fold. I know I couldn't see him, but I had a gun, I had a taser, I had a club. I could have done anything. I could have done anything and no one would have questioned it. But he threatened me and my family and I. What? That guy is dead. His family is traumatized and they have no idea what really happened. I wasn't even on duty. (laughs) I was off. My patrol was done. I was heading home, about to actually be back for dinner on time for once. Wasn't even supposed to be on that road. I don't usually have to go in that direction, but I wanted to take it a little slower just to blow off steam before I got home. Catherine and I had a disagreement that morning. Can't even remember what it was about, but when I left, she was livid. So it was important to me that I come home ready to make up. Of all nights to avoid 202, thought a ride through the woods would be good to clear my head. Not that I could see much, but that's not the point. Fuck. But there I was, driving down River Road, and I saw the accident. What was I supposed to do? Ignore it? Keep driving? Ready for someone else to stop? Maybe I should have. Came around this curve and see the truck. As I approached it on foot, I saw the driver was unconscious and sprawled out over the wheel, but he was breathing. He called for an ambulance. From what I could see, it seemed like a one-car accident, like he'd lost control or something. The front of his truck was wrapped around a tree. To do my due diligence, I looked around the cab of the truck for bottles of alcohol, but came up short. There were a few personal items. First thing I noticed was an older tape deck velcroed to the dashboard. It had a tape in it. Not sure what made me grab it, but I did. Put it in the trunk of my cruiser before looking for anything else. The next thing I found was a camera. I didn't have an official one on me since, again, I'm off duty at this time. So I used it to take a few photos of the scene. In retrospect, this is a huge rookie move. I shouldn't have touched anything, but I did what I did. There were just a handful of exposures left in the roll, so I was careful when taking the photos. I noticed something odd, a bloody handprint on the driver's side door. The window was open, rolled down despite the chilly evening, so the fingers curled over the window ledge, like they would if someone was grabbing the door from the open window made sure to capture that. Took a couple of pictures of him as he laid there. Talked to him a bit. Told him help was coming. Seemed to wake up for a moment or two and mumbled something. Tried to move his hands, but I told him not to. I didn't want him to further injure himself, but he didn't listen. Shook his left hand a bit, opened some of the fingers, and curled them back in a few times. It was the third or fourth time he did that I saw what he was holding. It was a piece of black fabric, like a T-shirt or a jacket-type material. That didn't sit right with me. When I took it out of his hand, he tried to speak. It was barely coherent, and all I could make out was a name. Micah. Micah. Then he passed out again. I made my way carefully around the side of the truck into the passenger side door that was hanging open. I remember thinking it was odd because no one was around. But then I saw her. Maybe 15 to 20 yards away. She was standing right in the headlights with her back to me. She was wearing jeans and a flannel shirt. I don't know how I didn't see her. called out to her and she didn't respond. She didn't react at all. Almost as if she didn't hear me, so I tried again. Not sure what I even said. Started walking towards her and just as I'm about to call to her for the third time, she starts to turn to face me, slowly. She didn't turn her whole body, just her head and shoulders turned in my direction. Her eyes were Wide and wild looking. It was unsettling. Listen, I've seen a lot of things, horrible things. But something about her expression made my blood run cold. She wasn't crying or panicking like you'd expect a kid in that situation to do. She just looked at me. Almost through me. Her silhouette outlined in the lights made her look like she was glowing. I for some reason used the last photo on the roll to take her picture. I don't know why. I tried to get her nearer, but something told me to keep my distance. I don't know if it was her expression or the way she stood there or how she kept her gaze completely on me. Either way, I kept talking to her, and eventually she got her to get out of the middle of the road. She walked towards the cab of the truck and looked like she was going to climb in, but something stopped her. I thought I heard the driver say something, but he couldn't have. He was completely unconscious. But she spoke to him. Barely a whisper, and close enough to hear it. She said, It's okay, Papa Bear. He sees me now. I have no fucking clue what that meant. But she didn't get into the truck. She just sat down on the pavement, right in the broken glass, and stared at the ground. The ambulance arrived a few minutes later, and I remember thinking I was grateful for the harsh, shrill sirens because they made sense to me. It was like being snapped back into the real world. Nothing about this accident, this man, this little girl made sense to me. I didn't like it. When the ambulance took them away, put the camera in my cruiser. I had every intention of returning it along with the other photos on that roll, by the way, but, uh... <clears throat> Kept looking. Again, I could have, should have just gone home at this point. The tow truck was going to be at least another hour, and I was given the go-ahead to leave from my captain. He could send someone else out to relieve me since my shift was over, but I found myself offering to cover it before I realized what I was saying. Something wasn't sitting right with me. Put the camera and fabric in a bag inside my trunk, the tape deck, and then got in my car and moved it so the headlights and my spotlight could illuminate the road better. I started it up, but then I got out. Grabbed a flashlight and began walking the edge of the road. Followed the tire tracks to where the truck hit the tree, and then I turned around and crossed to the other side of the road. The side had thick brush with fields behind it. It was only a few dozen feet from the crash when I saw them. There was a second set of tire tracks in the dirt, leading to a nearby inlet, like a little gravel spot people used to either drive onto the fields or pull a U-turn on the road. It obviously could have been from earlier in the day, you know, just the property owner driving over the dirt before pulling in, but I had a gut feeling that wasn't it so I followed them walked past the brush and a few steps in the field that's when he fucking got me everything went dark I thought I'd been knocked out took me a few seconds to realize I had something pulled over my head He hit me hard in the temple and I went down, but I think I was only out for a moment or two. Next thing I know, I'm sitting in the passenger seat of a vehicle with my hands zip-tied behind my back. He drove me for, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes. Could have been longer. Tried to count the turns, note their direction. I got pretty far, but lost track somewhere around turn six or seven. My head was throbbing. Kept asking questions that whole time, but he was silent. It was strange that he didn't gag me. Could yell for help the minute I got a chance. When the car finally stopped, I heard him exit on the side and walk around the vehicle to mine. He threw open the door but didn't say anything, so I focused on everything else. What I could hear smell. I heard crickets in the wind and smelled clean, woodsy air. And dirt. Like we were surrounded by trees. He went through my pockets. I tried to resist, but he tied my hands so tight. Like he'd done it before. I made sure I wouldn't be able to wrestle out of him. I could feel him pull my wallet and hurt him rifle through it. Didn't touch my gun. That was strange to me, too. Started to say that he could take what he wants, but then he spoke for the first time. Actually, he laughed first. He fucking laughed at me. I don't need your fucking money, he says. Then he starts reading my information off my license. My name, home address. Took my keys. Heard them jingling, clinking together, and I felt him slide something small and flat into my pocket. Felt him put my wallet back as well. He leaned close to my face and said, Now I know who you are, Mark Schrade. So I want you to listen to me. You saw an accident tonight. A simple yet tragic accident. That's what you'll write in your report. You will memorize it and stick to it, especially if anyone decides to get curious. You didn't see anything else. You understand? And this conversation never happened. Otherwise, I can promise that it will go badly for you. That was it. Shoves me back inside the vehicle Slams the door shut Heard him get in and take off Again I tried to count But I lost track Next thing I remember is Coming to in my squad car My hands were untied Looked around to reorient myself And I realized that my car Was parked in that same inlet I had been walking towards when he grabbed me The lights were off And the brush completely obscured My car from the road Someone, maybe the same guy, had moved it and hidden it from view. I reached into my pocket to see what he left me with and found that it was the key to my car. When I finally got in, Catherine was waiting for me. We fought again, made some bogus excuse. She said something about how I took her away from her work. She went to sleep in our guest room and we never spoke about it again. Just as I was falling asleep that night, I remember I'd stashed the camera, the film, his tape recorder, and that black piece of fabric in the trunk. I didn't even look to see if any of it was still there after the person dumped me back in my car. I ran outside to check and found it all there. They must not have seen me put it away. Small favors, I guess. Initially, I planned to enter it into evidence, but I kept it. Except the camera. I drove to the hospital that same night and found Ava Jones waiting in her husband's room. He was hooked up to a bunch of machines, but asleep. She was confused when she saw me enter the room, but I explained who I was and I'd been the one to find her husband. I gave her the camera, told her I found it outside the truck near the side of the road and thought she might want it back. Kept the original film roll and replaced it with a new one. So I handed it to her, I was afraid Ava would say something. Maybe there were photos on there she knew he took, but she didn't ask. Instead, she looked down at the camera and started crying. She asked me if I knew what caused the crash. (sighs) That was the moment the lie began. I heard myself speaking, but it felt like I was watching someone else. I told her that while I waited for the ambulance, I saw a dead fox on the side of the road that looked like it had been hit by a car. I was pretty sure that her husband swerved to avoid hitting it and lost control of his truck. She started crying heavily when I said it was a fox, even more than she already was. I don't even know why I chose that, but it was because I... Fox sticker stuck to the tape deck just said what popped in my mind She wouldn't stop crying just kept getting worse and worse I don't know what to do so I Set the camera down in one of the chairs And backed out of the room I thought that would be the end of it And here I am Twenty years later My guilt won't let me be memories, the nightmares. being haunted by that fucking night. and by someone else. someone who's intent on in making sure i never forget about it. i speak of it again to anyone. August 13, 2013 re-listened to my tape from a couple days ago. I should probably cut back on the drinking. Either way, it got me thinking about the stuff I've saved from that day, which then reminded me of the box of Catherine's things I'd found after she died, the box from the locked crawl space. Her journals, with a few scattered notes, most strange robes, kind of glossed over them because the journal caught my interest and I guess I just forgot. Probably should have let it go by now, but it was nagging at me, so I called the only person who I thought might know something about Catherine that I didn't, her sister. Catherine and Abigail had a strained relationship. We saw her once in a while. Sometimes she and her husband did favors for us, but it wasn't much beyond that. We didn't talk for long. She had some place to be, but she didn't know either. Something in her tone, though, gave me the feeling that even if she did know something, she wouldn't tell me. What she did do was give me unsolicited advice. She said to get rid of everything, throw them in the trash. People do strange things sometimes, but you shouldn't let it get to you, she said. All that matters is that Katie is gone. She told me she didn't want me to get worked up about Catherine having hid them. Sure. May 6, 2015. I'm at the cabin this weekend. Plan to stay a week. Got here about three days ago. Only been here a day and wouldn't you know it, a card shows up in my mailbox. We never get mail up here, besides junk. While the bills go to the house, make sure we don't miss anything. The only people who even have this address, as far as I know, are myself, Tim, and his wife. But he found it somehow. This fucking guy. It's a greeting card. There's a picture, a drawing of two kids playing hide-and-seek on the front. Inside it says, I can always find you. December 26, 2015. Ran into Gail Perry at the gym a couple days ago. She works for the town of Somerville, and her husband has some big-shot jobs, so they're fairly well-known around here, but I don't know her personally. Which made her asking for a favor strange to begin with, but what she asked me to do was even stranger. Apparently there was a falling out in her family a while back, between Gail and her husband and their son. They haven't spoken to him since 2001. 2001. Gail said her daughter occasionally gets postcards from him, but she has no way of contacting him back. As far as Gail knows, anyway. She asked me to use my resources to help find him. Offered me quite a bit of money to do it, too. I wasn't sure why she would ask me. Surely she knew someone else that might help, and... Given the cash she had to cover the work, I remember thinking she should have hired a PI. Maybe she thinks that's what I am? Told her I couldn't take her money. It's a long shot. I doubt I'll be able to find him since he'd been gone for so long, and she didn't have any tangible information for me to go on. But she cornered me on Christmas Eve. What was I supposed to say? November 28, 2016. Been looking for the Perry kid for nearly a year now and found nothing. That kid does not want to be found. I mean, I knew as much when I agreed to help, but it's still frustrating. Last time I spoke to Gail, I told her I needed more to go on, or I was calling it quits. About a week later, she called me back and said she had something for me. She explained that she made a trip up to Boston to visit her daughter, and while Amelia, that's her name, was running an errand, she looked through her things. She came across a recent piece of mail from her son sent to Amelia directly. Gail made a comment that she wasn't sure how he'd gotten her address, but she was more focused on what she found. It wasn't a postcard like the others. Instead, it was an envelope with some pictures. Photos are mostly scenery, but there was one of him leaning against his van. Gail took photos of them with her phone, so they're a bit blurry, but I managed to get a partial plate may have let his guard down a little too much with this one. March 3, 2017. Got him. Well, closer anyway. Found his last known address, but I... didn't give Gail the info right away. If the kid stayed away for this long. It has to be a pretty big reason, right? Gail never gives me a straight answer when I ask about the falling out. And she was downright angry when I pushed her for more details at one point. So, before I just release this info to her, I'm going to try to pay the kid a visit. He's in Pittsburgh. Bit of a hike, but I think I can make it out there sometime within the next couple months. After I talk to him and get his side, I'll let Gail know. Maybe. June 29, 2017. Fucking A. I found him. Still in the same place, and I was pleasantly surprised to find out a bit of information I wasn't expecting. Turns out the Perrys and Joneses were close. What is it about New Jersey? Everyone fucking knows everyone. Or maybe it's just this county. Either way, it's awfully convenient for me. We got to talking like his mom, the kid, Brendan. Was pretty guarded with the details, but I feel like the situation was more than just your standard issue parent-child falling out. It's the way he talks about him, the uh, little ticks he has when he does. I don't even think he realizes he's doing them. White knuckled fists opening and closing reminded me of Nolan's. Hymn. Oh, never mind. His eyes change as well. They get wider. The pupils dilate. It gives them a strange overall appearance. It's the look I've seen on kids who've experienced something horrible. So horrible they bury it. I respect the kid's reasons for not wanting to be in touch with his parents. And I'm really glad I didn't take Gail's money, to be honest, because I would certainly feel more obligated to give him up. But I won't be doing that. there's something else when we were talking he mentioned something about a party and then he sort of slipped into a daze he started talking but nothing made sense Uh, I didn't have my notebook so I didn't catch it I barely could make out what he said but I swore I heard the word robes I let him ramble for a moment and waited for him to come out of it I knew what I was going to do. We well, made a deal. A kid has something he's working on. Wouldn't tell me what. Well, he can get the time. He travels around all different places doing his research. That explains all the postcards the sister gets. He asked me if I'd vouch for him if he ever needed it. Give a sense of relevance to his interviews. I told him I couldn't let him impersonate an officer, but... If he ever called me, I'd do what I could, no guarantees. In return, he promised to tell me what he knew about the Joneses. Couldn't remember much, but would let me know if anything else came to mind. Repeating this all now, I'm honestly not sure which one of us got the shit end of this deal. I'm just glad I can finally stop searching for the kid. November 1, 2017. Tim visited this past weekend and brought my granddaughter with him. He took Katie trick-or-treating around our neighborhood. He wanted her to see how some fancy people hand out full-size candy bars to kids. God, that kid looks just like her grandmother. Catherine would have loved her. (coughs) Tim and I managed to squeeze in a bit of father-son time while Katie was preoccupied with a movie and her candy and got to talking about when he was a kid. As a joke, I asked him if he and his friends ever raised hell on mischief night around here. I knew he did, but I wanted to see if he'd admit it. First, he just laughed and said, "'Of course not. My dad's a cop.' But he couldn't keep a straight face. I mean, I knew he was lying." Really, I just wanted to hear what he got into. Compare stories. Also, apparently mischief night is really only a thing in New Jersey and maybe one other place in the whole country. How the hell is that possible? It's a rite of passage. Even a kid if you haven't TP'd a house or egged a cop car. My cruiser was egged every year like clockwork. Tim admitted to being the culprit of said egging several years in a row. Anyway, he let a little chuckle and I asked him what was so funny, and he said he did have one story, but from Halloween night. Made me promise not to ground him. He tells me one year in on Halloween he swiped a bottle of booze, which fine, whatever. What am I gonna do about it now? He says he drank a little bit of it, but one of his friends had more than he could handle. Skid Luke that always hung around the house and went places with us. Seems like a funny story at first, you know, in hindsight. Kid gets wasted, passes out cold next to his bike. Tim said the rest of the group walked into a field a little ways from where they were hanging out. They we were just going to let him sleep it off and then head home. Eventually they see him coming towards them with a flashlight, but then he clicks it off and disappears into the trees. They got worried and called out, but didn't get an answer. When they couldn't find him, they decided to head home, thinking they would catch up with him on the way and make sure he was all right. They didn't see him again that night, but Luke shut up at our place the next day, so he was fine. I didn't think anything of it until Tim mentioned where all that happened. It was right there. Same little section of River Road, maybe 30, 40 yards away. I know it's just, I mean, kids hang out in those fields drinking all the time, right? Or at least they used to. But I can't shake the feeling that it's connected. Something about the way Tim said Luke walked off. Like he was heading toward them, trying to catch up, and then he just stopped dead in his tracks, turned off his flashlight. Something about that. January 8, 2018, I tracked down Luke, I invited him out for a coffee under the guise of being interested in what he's been up to, but really, I knew I was going to try and get his side of the story out of him. But when I managed to work around to it, he got dismissive of my questions. What a little shit. Practically raised that kid. His parents sure as hell didn't. They were trashed. Someone had to show him how to behave, and here he was, acting ungrateful. Gave it another shot a couple days later. Managed to pique his interest by saying I knew about that night and that I had a cold case that may be connected. Something he could help me solve. He asked about the case, but I told him I couldn't say until I had a lot more information from him. He still didn't fully agree. I think I might have screwed it up by telling him not to tell Tim about any of this. But I'm closer than I was before. I can feel it in my gut that he can help me. I gotta keep trying. There must be some way I can get him on board. February 26, 2018. I drove to Providence. I wanted to see Micah for myself passed by her apartment and saw her carrying a backpack to her car. It was strange seeing her as an adult. I only have that image of her as a child in my mind. And I was seeing someone who moved past that moment, at the very least by aging. When she got in and started driving, I followed her. She drove to a hiking trail about 40 minutes away. I waited until she had a good head start and followed her there, too. Watched as she made her way through the woods. She moved confidently, like this is something she does often, all alone. We were alone in those woods. Took her picture. I almost caught up to her at one point. Thought she saw me, but I ducked out of the way quickly. After that, I... Turned around and walked back the way I came and decided to head home. I don't... I don't know why I did that. August 3, 2018. Gave it a little while before asking Luke to help me again. Figured he'd be more agreeable if I gave him some more information. Called and left him a voicemail. He hasn't called back yet. September 14, 2018. Luke called back, and at first it was more of the same. I pressed the issue by saying that I was getting somewhere, and to make major headway, I needed him to try and befriend someone close to the case. Not in a harmful way, but potentially to get information I couldn't otherwise procure myself. He flipped out. He said that was a horrible invasion of privacy. He was horrified I'd ask him to do something like that, and he wasn't interested in helping. As a last-dish effort, I threw her name out there. It was a Hail Mary, if you will. Like, maybe putting a name to the case rather than being vague would work better. Luke always struck me as a sensitive kid. Thought I could use that. Stopped yelling and went very quiet. Said he needed to call me back. About an hour later, the phone rang. It was Luke. Suddenly, he's very interested in helping me. Done a complete 180, but I didn't ask why. Doesn't matter, and honestly, I don't care. He'll be able to get close to her. As close as I need him to. They're around the same age, so that'll help too. October 27, 2018. Luke went to Providence and followed the instructions I gave him. He knows where she works and has seen which places she frequents. He's noted that she's often alone. November 30, 2018. Who the fuck are you? Who the fuck do you think you are? You've gone too fucking far this time. It's one thing to threaten me, leaving me taunting notes and shit. But going after my granddaughter is crossing a fucking line. She's a kid. A first fucking grader. I'm visiting Tim, and I offered to pick up Katie from school today. She came out of the building. She's holding a toy I've never seen. A truck. I asked her where she got it, but then I looked closer at it, and I didn't have to hear her answer to no. It's not actually a toy. It's one of those kits for hobbyists to build and paint. Expensive. It's a Chevy, mostly hunter green, but with a gray block painted down the side. It's Nolan's truck, a perfect replica from the accident. I asked her again where she got it, paid attention this time. She said a man stopped by just before I got there, said he was a friend of her grandpa's and had something he wanted her to give to me and to tell me hello and see you soon. December 11, 2018. Luke made contact. He was watching her apartment like he has the past few times he went to Providence. This time, much like my luck, he caught her and her friends as they were leaving the house. He ran into her at a bar and chatted. They made plans to hang out soon and get drinks. He mentioned that she has a podcast, too. Maybe I'll give it a listen. January 25, 2019. That little fucking shit. He already knew her. I was suspicious when his attitude about helping me changed, but I was too focused on getting information. He knew who she was the minute I mentioned her name. What's he playing at? He stopped returning my calls. Wouldn't tell me anything the last time we spoke, either. It was a waste of fucking time. I got fuck all nothing from him. March 18, 2019. I fucked up. I I fucked up. I listened to her. Shit. I I have to stop her.
0: The audio from March 2019 is the last recording we have. There are other things. Notes. Journals. I might share them with you at some point in time. I don't know. We'll see. But there's one journal entry I want to read to you now. I had the dream again. I can't live like this anymore. I have to come clean. I should talk to his widow and daughter and tell them what I know. I should apologize to his daughter for what I've been doing. What I made Luke do. He's already found them. They're in his crosshairs and maybe it's my fault. I should tell them. Warn them. But I can't. I can't let this guy get to me to Tim, to Katie. They're all I have left. That entry is dated November 5th, 2019. 26 years to the day after my dad's accident. It's the last entry Mark Schrade ever wrote. It was written within days or possibly on the day that Mark died.